the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my training and my education and my my life's observations, and most importantly, my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and in creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice the related fields in my overall consumer and small business financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say that they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and I guess I still am one, I uh, also know how difficult it can be financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, I had the great fortune to be able to spend time with both my grandmothers. And I just so highly respect and admire these women uh, because they survived what I consider to be the four great economic challenges of the last century. That is to say, they survived and thrived and raised children during the Great Depression, World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. Because of my great love and admiration for these women uh, who shared with me the great stories of what they had to sacrifice 
uh, their grandparents uh, who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South. And because I have such great affection for these women who are always with me, along with my dad in spirit, urging me on uh, to do the right thing and support my community, when I find the situation is right I and I have the opportunity to legally and ethically at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled, I jump on that opportunity because I'm finding more and more uh, these particular classes and sets of individuals are the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial abuse that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening education forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you at least an overall general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts. So today, we'll continue the discussion we started a couple of weeks ago on Bankruptcy 101 by focusing in on the two classes of debt that Congress has determined to be presumptively non-dischargeable if, when you file uh, for bankruptcy due to the purported worthiness of your creditor and, and not based on any purported bad act or bad faith on the part of you as the borrower in obtaining the debt obligation or the funds or the other thing of value that you received from your creditor. Now, in this case, as we broached last week, we're examining the situation where the lender and or guarantor of the funds lent are um, are used by people just like you and me to pay for our post-high school educations. Now, because these loans are presumptively non-dischargeable in your bankruptcy, not based on any of your fault as a debtor, but simply because many of us have come from low to moderate income families and have the audacity to think that we should or even must have a higher education in order to increase our chances of financial success in the employment marketplace. And these lenders know that we must repay these loans no matter what, unless we can prove to a bankruptcy court that it would place an undue financial burden on us to have to repay these loans in full. And while it might appear on the surface that meeting this standard uh, would be pretty easy to prove because, say, you are un or underemployed after you've left college, but that's just not the case. 
proving that it's an undue burden is anything but easy. In some, most bankruptcy courts, to access the possibility of dischargeability, you must pass the so-called Bruner test by convincing a bankruptcy court that one, you cannot maintain even a minimal standard of living for you and or your family if you are forced to repay these loans in full. Two, that your current financial straits are unlikely to change for the better during the loan repayment period. And three, you have made a good faith effort to repay this debt prior to filing for bankruptcy. Well, you know, in my opinion, because these lenders and underwriters know that very few of us will even try, let alone be able to pass the Bruner test or the alternative totality of the circumstances test that requires a judicial inquiry into all the relevant factors supporting or diminishing your financial hardship arguments. Because of this, lenders have succumbed to what I call the moral hazard of making these loans at the drop of a hat without any due diligence about the debtor's ability to repay the loans, thereby placing such a debtor in a proverbial financial hamster wheel. I liken it to sharecroppers last week, and some people were like, what in the hell is she talking about? I likened it to sharecropping where the newly freed person, instead of being granted that 40 acres and a mule in exchange for providing their services to the Union Army, was instead consigned to work the land of their former masters and required to procure their seeds and all their farming material and equipment from their former masters and purchase their sundries from their former masters at exorbitant prices on credit, such that when the crops came in, the free person would not be able to repay their former masters because they got the first alliance share of the crop. As such, many of these freed persons found themselves now tied to the land and getting deeper and deeper in debt with every crop season. Now, this former uh, economic sharecropping is not was not just assigned to black and brown people. Um, if you were to really visit and talk with the antecedents of poor white folks who worked the coal mines in Appalachia, they suffered from the same kind of non-ending indebtedness because they had to rent their homes from the mine owners and buy all their supplies and sundry and food from the mine owners in the mine owners' stores at exorbitant prices such that the, on credit such that they, too, never got out of debt. Now, this form of educational sharecropping, where you never actually own your education, but only rent it from the loan servicers in the financial institutions who laxly underwrite the ever-escalating fees and expenses charged by our colleges and universities, that has been sanctioned by our government, that has caused low to moderate income citizens of all stripes, races, and ethnicities to swallow a bill of goods that we must obtain a post-high school education in order to get the jobs that we need to support ourselves and our families. This is an intern has allowed higher education providers to steadily up the cost of education 
while giving a green light to the lenders who lend the money that you'll never be able to pay back these loans in full, making it nearly impossible to discharge these educational debts in bankruptcy unless you can prove, as I said before, that you'll currently living in poverty and you'll never get out of it. Now, this is a class of educational servitude that not only impacts the students, but their parents and their grandparents and their children, if they can afford to have any uh, children, and their communities and our overall economy as well. Student loan debt impacts the borrowers. Uh, ability over time because it increases their debt burden, it lowers their credit scores, and ultimately limits their purchasing power. And in as much as in our society, 70% of our gross domestic product comes from what we consumers buy, uh, clothing, goods, land, and real property and the like, uh, we are negatively hurting ourselves by not providing a readily available means for those of us who have student loan debt to discharge it in bankruptcy. But when we come back, not all is lost, and we're going to discuss the three ways we may be able to deal with our student loan debt inside and outside of bankruptcy. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of Bankruptcy 101 by focusing in on one of the two classes of debt that Congress has determined to be non-dischargeable due to the purported worthiness of the creditor involved and not based on any real or purported bad act or bad faith of the borrower in obtaining the debt obligation in the first instance. Now, before the break, I promised you we take a look at the three ways we may be able to deal with our student loan debt inside and outside bankruptcy. However, I must first caution you that debt from federal sources or from commercial sources, private sources will be treated differently in all of the three processes I will lay out for you today. Now, the first possible way to deal with your debt outside of bankruptcy court is by engaging in some form of negotiation with your loan servicer with the goal of reducing your payments based on your income or via a consolidation loan or loans, basically uh, refinancing your loans that reduces the interest rate or obtaining a deferment or forbearance to temporarily postpone or reduce your monthly payments. However, please note, unless you're eligible for some form of loan forgiveness due to your post-education employment in the public interest or public service sector, such as if you were a teacher under the Teacher's Loan Forgiveness Program, or the interest rate cap for service members under the Service Members Civil Relief Act, or if you're a Department of Defense uh, student loan uh, repayment program, you have access to that, or if you are uh, able to access the Siegel AmeriCorps Education Award that can be used to pay down your debt after you complete the required terms of service. These finance refinance or deferment or forbearance programs will not reduce your debt. 
but will instead cause the unpaid portion to be added onto the back of the loan, thereby increasing your debt balance and putting you further and further behind the A-ball, which will ultimately increase your debt burden. So if you have a federal student loan, you can get more information about these programs by accessing the federal student loan website at studentaid.gov. However, if you have a private, commercially funded student loan, you will need to get in touch with your specific loan servicer. A second way to possibly deal with your student loan debt outside bankruptcy court is through some form of presidential edict via an executive order. I'll talk about that more in a minute. The third way to deal with your student loan debt is to seek an order from a bankruptcy court discharging some or all of your student loan debt by filing a federal lawsuit against the holder and or servicer of your loans as part of but distinct from your overall plan of either reorganization of your debt in a Chapter 11, 12, or 13, or a liquidation bankruptcy in Chapter 7. And as much as I've already provided you with an overview of the programs behind door number one that you can access with the holder or servicer of your loans outside of bankruptcy, I want to spend the rest of our time today looking at and dealing with our student loan debt via some kind of presidential edict via an executive order, door number two. Now, I use the term edict loosely because, as you know, we don't live in a monarchy or a theocracy or a totalitarian form of government as yet, but instead a constitutional form where the three branches of government perform distinct functions with the goal of keeping each branch in check, lest we do dissolve into an autocracy. Now, here, after consulting with the executive branch Independent Department of Justice on August 24, 2022, President Biden announced his three-part student loan relief program composed of Part 1, targeted debt cancellation relief of up to $20,000 for a Pell Grant recipient with loans with the Department of Education and up to $10,000 for non-Pell Grant recipients on the condition that the borrower, if she is single, make less than $125,000 per year or if they is a married couple making less than $250,000 a year. And part three, assisting low-income borrowers by cutting in half their monthly payments for undergraduate school loans by capping the monthly payment at 5% of the borrower's discretionary income. That's the income the leftover after paying the borrower's reasonable living expenses. And by fixing the broken public service loan forgiveness program by uh, proposing new rules that allow borrowers who work for nonprofits or in the military or in federal or state or tribal or local governments, allowing them to receive the appropriate credit for when their loan was stayed because they were in forbearance. And part three, by putting in place more oversight geared towards protecting future students and taxpayers right, by reducing the costs that colleges and universities can charge us when we go to school. 
Now, you can find out the details of the President's Student Loan Relief Program at the White House's website, located at www.whitehouse.gov. And he has a briefing statement with a fact statement for this program that he wants to implement. So why did President Biden think he could implement this program? Isn't it true that only Congress can pass laws and the executive branch must faithfully execute Congress's laws? The answer to that is yes. And as such, President Biden, like any good executive would, tasked the attorney general and the general counsel of the Department of Education, the subject matter experts on all legal matters related to the Department of Education, to find out if there was a legal basis for the program that he wanted to implement. And on August 23, 2022, the day before the president announced his program, the assistant attorney general Uh, for the General Office of Legal Counsel provided the president through the Department of Education a 25-page memorandum of opinion for the General Counsel of the Department of Education in response to the president's query as to whether the HEROES Act of 2003 could be used to cancel the principal amount of student loans. And finding, and I quote, Uh, The Higher Education Relief Opportunities Act of 2003 grants the Secretary of Education authority to reduce or eliminate the obligation to repay the principal balance of federal student loans, including a class-wise basis in response to COVID-19, to the pandemic, and providing that all the other requirements of the statute are satisfied. So some of the key points in this memorandum found that it could be used in a national emergency, such as the COVID-19 national emergency. And it could be used if it would tend to not place the debtor, the borrower, in a worse position financially in relation to the financial assistance because of a national emergency. The secretary invoked this authority in response to the COVID-19 pandemic to suspend the repayment obligation and to waive interest payments on student loans for every borrower in the United States who held a federal student loan. So if the president had the authority, um, why isn't the program in place right now? It's because two plaintiffs, both of whom have outstanding student loan debt, but are not eligible for the president's programs because one of them has a private commercial lender and the other one did not receive a Pell Grant. And they sued uh, because the uh, Department of Education didn't fulfill its obligations under the notice and comment period rulemaking procedure required under the Federal Administrative Procedures Act. So they sued and the Court of Proper Jurisdiction found that the Constitution vests all legislative power in Congress. This power, however, can be delegated to the executive branch, but only if the executive branch is given a direct delegation spoken out by Congress, and the court in Texas found that it did not. The administration appealed this ruling, but they found that there was another lawsuit against them in uh, where the 
six Republican controlled states sued because they felt that this program was going to hamper their in their state's ability to have school lending programs and it was going to harm their tax base. So the uh, just so you know where things stand right now. Um, the president has appealed uh, the Eighth Circuit ruling directly to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, they, they sued asking for the injunction to be lifted so the president can continue with the program of allowing us to apply for this program and seek grants. However, the application to the Supreme Court was submitted to Justice Kavanaugh, who's in charge of the initial review of such emergency applications in the Eighth Circuit. And what he decided to do on behalf of the court was to not lift the injunction, but to set the matter for a substantive hearing on the merits of the case that's going to take place sometime in in February of next year. So stay tuned. So that means that while door number two isn't completely blocked off or barred, it nonetheless is out of commission until the Supreme Court makes its substantive ruling on the constitutionality of President Biden's relief program. Now, when we get together next time, we are going to jump into and look behind door number three and see what's available in bankruptcy court. So we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here in Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including using the laws of bankruptcy for its positive effect on our economy when guided by equity and fairness, not only to the debtor, but to our creditors and to our society as a whole. So I just want to say, I wish you all the very best of New Year's as we continue our quest for knowledge about the law and how we can use it to all be better citizens. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.